3: Today, we get a chance to find out what this defense is going to look like. Mike McDonald, the new defensive coordinator, stops by today to give us his thoughts on returning to the college ranks, as well as what he sees in this defense. We'll dive into all that here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen the former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches.
1: We're going to have our, our staples, you know, our core our core concepts that we're, and our core fronts and all that kind of stuff. We're going to install that. But the guys have to understand those concepts before we can start moving things around to, to kind of accentuate who's doing what and to make sure guys are doing what they do well.
3: Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. And we've got a lot to get to. Um, You know, the spring ball is going to be starting up uh, on Monday. So we're going to get a chance to talk some spring ball. And just a quick look ahead, we will get a chance to talk to some players and uh, find out from them what they're working on, what's going on in spring ball. Um, That's coming uh, down the road here on In the Trenches. Uh, But, uh, hey, with all of the sports up and running, We are celebrating Black History Month on Conquering Heroes, as well as here on In the Trenches. Um, So make sure you you tune in on Tuesdays. And my partner comes out with uh, Defend the Block, and that is Mr. Brian Bush, the play-by-play voice of Michigan basketball. And Mr. Bush, how are uh, are things going now that basketball is up and going? It looked terrific.
2: Oh, John, it was terrific. It was probably the most fun regular season game I've had the – opportunity to broadcast just how they came back in the basketball sense first and foremost but then you consider all of the context Terry and I had a blast we were loving it inside the big house it's been tough not being at these games but boy it was as if we were sitting courtside urging those young men on to to pull off a win that that I don't think will be soon forgotten this season or beyond a 23-day pause to that victory oh it was so so special
3: so the question is: Obviously, they come back. We've seen a number of teams have a layoff. Uh, you know, the, the the other team in the state of Michigan here had a what, about a three week layoff, and they've struggled coming out of that layoff. We've seen other teams around the country struggle coming out of a layoff. Michigan comes off of a twenty three day hiatus, and they go to Madison, Wisconsin, and get a win. My question to you is: Is it real?
2: I mean, I think it's real. I think this team is Final Four good. I think this team is National Championship good, and. I mean, we all know. I mean, if you look at the at the John Beeline era, and I, I think you could make an argument that the team that went to the Elite Eight the year after John Beeline's first Final Four team maybe was even better than the team that got to the National Championship game against Louisville. Uh, and then the next time they got to the National Championship game, they had a road that was a little bit friendlier than normal seating-wise. And I thought the team the next year through the first half of the season was maybe better than that team that got to the game against Villanova before falling in the national championship game. So we all know that this is, it It, it can be one bad game and you're done in the round of 32 or the sweet 16, but... I'd put this team up against anybody in college basketball, regardless of what happens here down the stretch this season, because there's going to be a game that they're going to run. They're going to run into a hot shooting team in the Big Ten. The league's too good. I don't think Michigan will finish the Big Ten slate with just one loss, but I think they can and will win the Big Ten championship. I think they can and will be a factor in Indianapolis in the Big Ten tournament. And I think they're going to be a one seed. I, I really do. I'm I'm fully bought in. I fully believe in this team, not just in the Big Ten, but nationally. I, I think they could win it all. I really do.
3: And there's three, obviously, marquee games uh, still left on the schedule. And, and I don't want to discount anybody. But, uh, obviously, this Sunday, um, traveling down to Columbus, uh, you've got to play down there. and And, you know, they're a top five ranked team. Uh, you still got Iowa, who's coming to Ann Arbor, uh, and then the uh, the matchup uh, with the Spartans. Uh, and I know they're not having the season that they normally have, but that's a rivalry game, and you know it's it's it. All three of those games, I believe, are really good tests and lessons that can be learned in those games for a very young team. There's not a lot of, of experience on the or a lot of, not a lot of tournament experience on this basketball team because of you know graduation and the fact that there just wasn't a tournament last year.
2: Yeah, and the nice thing is that I think you can say that about most teams in college basketball because of what happened. I do think Michigan has a lot of experience overall, but yeah, to your point, no one got a chance to play in the tournament last year. This year's tournament is going to have a different feel, but that's why I talked about it on Defend the Block after the game on Sunday. The two Wisconsin games this year, I know there are still some big games coming up, but I think those two games – Establish something for this program the first one proved that they were for real just in the basketball context they had they had started off strongly they were climbing the rankings but that was their first true test against a team we know is pretty good to very good and Michigan just pummeled them at home this one this past Sunday proved that Michigan can handle anything in the context of this season because it's so different This is a pandemic season. You're going to have unique times. You're going to have difficult situations. And Michigan had as tough a one as you're going to find. A two-week quarantine that wasn't. I mean, there were no positives in the program. They it, it did not have something that came into the men's basketball program. They had to do it for a a greater purpose. They waited around. They stayed in shape. They buckled down in practice. And they won a game on the road. If you can do that. Not only are you a national championship contender in the basketball sense, but this season, you got to have some extra oomph, some extra grit to yourself. And they proved that on Sunday.
3: Well, we're, we're definitely excited about it, and we're looking forward to it. So, uh, um, hey, you and T. Mills, you guys have a good time. Uh, but, uh, hey, this is the In the Trenches. We're going to talk some football. And, and coming up in just a little bit, everybody's going to get a chance to listen to the conversation I had with Mike McDonald. But before we get there, uh, we've got our bacon fact uh, coming up, as well as seven from 77. So, uh, how about we... Uh, we put the uh, pedal to the metal and, and start looking forward to spring football, which begins on Monday.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a bit. First, though, John, number one, just tell me what's going on around Beckler Hall at this point. Since that two-week pause, how different has this offseason been to this point? I know you're not there as much, but you, you have a pulse on what's happening. What's different or maybe what's similar to quote-unquote normal?
3: Well, it's, I don't even know what normal is anymore. So what's going on now is is they're still going through the same process of workouts that we saw or we heard them go through last offseason during the pandemic, where you have a certain number of, of student athletes, certain number of football players. I think it's usually around 10. That come in, they get their workout in. Everybody's still masked up. The, the you know Ben Herbert and the the strength and conditioning staff is doing a great job of scheduling everybody so that they're in, they get their work done, they're out, and they're getting ready for spring football. So this is that time under normal circumstances that you would have your you know quote unquote off season or winter conditioning. You're not having the same team runs that you would normally have, but they're still getting the same workout in. It's just coming in waves instead of all at one.
2: Number two, let's talk spring ball. It's going to start on Monday. Give fans an idea of just how important these practices are, especially considering the fact that they did not happen last season as expected.
3: Well, it's the, the part of the reason they're starting so much earlier this year, which normally we don't start until the middle of March, and this, the spring game is somewhere around April 15-ish in the middle of April. Uh, but we are hopefully going to have 15 spring practices that go uninterrupted. The reason they're starting earlier is that if there is another pause, things don't get backed up enough to where you can't get, you know, maybe 11, 12, 13, 14 in. And so this gives them the opportunity to have the biggest window to get all 15 practices in. Because as you mentioned, they didn't have it last year. This is a season where you're going to have to try and figure out who's going to be the starting quarterback. And I don't think we'll know that coming out of spring practice, but you've got Joe Milton, Cade McNamara. We saw both of them last year. The the young gun, J.J. McCarthy, uh, is going to get an opportunity to get some reps in spring because he was an early enrollee. And then you've got new coaches, you've got a young offensive line, you know, and a lot of players got experience. And if there is a silver lining to last year's football season, and trust me, it, it, I throw up a little bit in my mouth every time I think about it, because that's the way it feels that season went. But if there is a silver lining, it's that there were injuries, there were opt-outs and a lot of young players. Got experience. They got game experience. Now they can take that to the film room. They can look at that. And you've got new, you know, some similar coaches in new positions. Jay Harbaugh moves over to tight ends. Obviously, Sharon Moore down the offensive line. How are they going to, you know, build relationships? with their room with their guys and how are they going to sort through the depth chart um you know you've got obviously mike hart and ron bellamy who we've heard and if you missed uh, the podcast if anybody's listening and missed that go back to the MGO blue podcast feed and you'll find both mike hart and ron bellamy um you know and, and their conversations that we had with them but those guys have to learn who they're inheriting what the personalities are how to coach them how to you know how to, to interact with them uh, as best they can, as and Josh Gaddis. This is year three of his offense. What's it going to look like? What has he learned in regards to, you know, putting a practice plan together, putting game plans together? Because you want to simulate some of those things in spring football. And then defensively, it's a whole new system. Uh, you know, and, and this is Mike McDonald's, you know, first time calling a defense. He's got to get familiar with, you know, the, 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 the athletes that he's inheriting. He's got to get familiar with working with the coaches. Uh, Sean Nua is still here. Brian Jean-Marie is still here. Uh, but Mo Linguist, uh, George Hilo, both new guys. This is a new staff. They have to learn how to work together and get the message from you know what they're seeing on film, what they're putting together in terms of what they want this defense to be, their identity, getting it to the players and getting that information uh, disseminated to them.
2: Number three, as we talk to the new defensive coordinator here on In the Trenches in a little bit, we didn't really get a chance to put a bow on the Don Brown era. What must improve from what we saw under Coach Brown, and what needs to continue? I know it wasn't the best ending. There were downs, but there were also some ups that you can work off.
3: Yeah, there were some ups. And and one of the the ups is that Don Brown was a good teacher of the game of football. Um, That's one of the things that I admire so much about a lot of the coaches that I've seen. And Don Brown is definitely one of them, that he is a great teacher of the game of football. So there are certain principles that you have to learn. And, and certain concepts that no matter what defense you're playing, when you look at an offense, all right, that's what you're seeing. Those principles won't change. How you react to them, that may be a little bit different in a Mike McDonald coach defense. But, I, you know, what needs to improve is obviously the pass defense, and that is twofold. One, it's putting pressure on a quarterback – Um, And Aiden Hutchinson will be healthy this year. That's going to be a major factor. But how will they create pressure on a quarterback? And how will they, you know, how will what will the expectations be for the secondary? How much man? How much zone? How are they going to find that happy medium between both? that's where we need to see improvement and then obviously stopping the run you know you talk about run and pass and you've got to be good at both but you've got to find a way to stop teams and be really good on first down so that you give yourself that advantage and put a team into a second long situation now you can play with the secondary, and you can go, man, you can disguise coverages, you can blitz, you can be aggressive, you can be, you know, and you're going to hear from Mike McDonald in just a little bit, you can be that run-to-the-ball type defense, but you've got to have success on first down. If there's anything I want to see this defense do from, you know, what we saw last year to, to this coming football season, is I want to see them have success on first down.
2: Number four on our seven from 77. couple of departures since we last spoke. Linebacker Adam Shibley is exiting the program. He is a grad transfer. Linebacker, former fullback Ben Van Sumeren, he's leaving the program just a regular transfer. The impact of those two departures in your mind?
3: Well, it's it's always comes down to depth. Um, and, you know, we know Cam McGrone um, has left and is, is pursuing his career in the NFL uh, Josh Ross will be back. So you're going to have some experience, but it comes down to numbers. What happens if one or two guys, especially your starters, get nicked up and they can't finish a game or they can't play in one or two games this football season? You lose two linebackers, and that affects the depth of that, whether it's at practice, it's on the field, um, and you lose two great kids. That's, you know, when I see these student athletes transfer, it's not always for me what the impact is on the football field and I know that's what we're talking about but you lose two great kids that are going to be going and and we wish them the best I wish you know Adam Shibley great success wherever he lands Uh, Ben Van Sumeren, wherever he lands, because they're really good kids, and I'm just i going to miss seeing them around uh, Beckler Hall.
2: Yeah, we never had a chance to have Ben Van Sumeren on the podcast, but Adam Shibley was a part of the Big Ten Anti-Hate, Anti-Racism Coalition. Really Mm -hmm. well-spoken young man. It was cool to see him get a chance to play some this past season, albeit for a disappointing circumstance, some injuries, uh, but all the best to both of those young men. Number five, before we zero in on Mike McDonald, I want to expand nationally because – We think, we assume things can change in college football, but it appears that the coaching carousel is done. Gus Malzahn uh, just hired at Central Florida. Who were the best hires during this pretty unique cycle, I think, and who were some of the biggest question marks that you're, you're, you're pondering how that fit will work?
3: Well, one one guy that I'm really excited about and Wolverine fans should be excited about is Jed Fish going to Arizona. Um, Don Brown's going to be his defensive coordinator there. But a couple of guys with Michigan ties, I think Jed Fish is a tremendous quarterback coach. Uh, I think he's a a great offensive mind. I'm excited to see what he can do in the Pac-12. It's a team that needs some direction. Uh, we saw at the end of the year they were they were basically falling apart and just got absolutely uh, you know boat raced uh, in their rivalry game uh, against Arizona. So that's uh, I'm sorry Arizona State. So that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I think it's a really good hire for Arizona. Um, I, d- another really good hire in the Big Ten is Brett Bielema, um at Illinois. And we talk about the strength of the Big Ten, the West. Um, Illinois, when I played, um, and that was, you know, hey, they had uh, Simeon Rice, Kevin Hardy. They were a program that was to be reckoned with. Now that we have these divisions, Illinois needs to bring up the strength of the West. We've seen Northwestern under Pat Fitzgerald be really good. Wisconsin is traditionally good. Iowa is always solid. Now, what is Scott Frost going to do at Nebraska? Can they finally get over the hump and be a team, not necessarily that's competing for a West title, but, you know, improve the depth and the competition over there. And I think Brett Bielema with his time, his roots, obviously, at the University of Iowa, his coaching and his familiarity with the recruiting footprint um, in his time as head coach at Wisconsin. I think that's a great hire for the University of Illinois. And then the one that I'm going to be keeping my eye on is Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Um, you know, that's it's an interesting job. Uh, the expectations there are very interesting, and, and you know it's it's a fine line to walk there. But um, Sark has had some issues off the field uh, in the past. He obviously went to the Nick Saban School of Rehab uh, for his career. It's worked well. He now has this head coaching job at Texas. What will he do when the, the when the pressure is really on? Because Texas is one of those programs where the pressure is going to be there day in and day out. He'll have the ability to recruit. If he can do that, I think Texas is, is finally going to be, I don't want to say back because everybody wants to know, well, is Texas back? Is Miami back? But they're going to have a chance to progress to the point where we can't say that they're back.
2: So Michigan plays Texas coming up. As long as there aren't any changes to this, who knows how the pandemic will affect everything. But there is a series scheduled for Michigan and Texas in Austin in 2024 and then at the big house in 2027. Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to put up some some wins in these three years if he's coaching that game in 2024. They're impatient down there.
3: They are, uh, but I do believe that he can with his experience, uh, you know, that he had coaching in the Pac-12, um, his experience that he's had coaching with Nick Saban at Alabama. Um, I, I think he will do well. To what level, I, I'm not sure. And we we'll just have to wait to see what he can do in terms of recruiting the state of Texas and, and the footprint that they live in.
2: And the other one that I was confused by was Brian Harson. I think he's a good coach. I just don't know if that's the right fit. That'll be an interesting one to me.
3: It will certainly be interesting because uh, uh, Auburn is always going to be measured uh, with what they do against uh, uh, Alabama, and you know Gus Melzahn was one of those coaches who was able to get a few wins against Alabama. So that bar is there, and will Brian Harrison be able to do that? Will you know? Only time will tell.
2: No doubt. Number six on our seven from 77. All right, let's zero in on Mike McDonald. couple of questions. First, you know, we, we've we've heard about the differences. We know about the differences between coaching in college versus coaching in the NFL. Recruiting's a big one. Sure. But, you know, tell me about the relationship aspect. How different and in what ways was it similar? Your relationship with your college coaches versus your coaches when you got to the NFL.
3: Well, the coaches in the NFL, they expect that because it is your job, you don't have to go to class, you don't have to do anything else, it is your profession, that you do a lot of things outside of the meeting room, outside of time with coaches to prepare for game day, to prepare for training camp, uh, whether it's physically, mentally, uh, so many of those things, that responsibility falls on the player. At the college level, you're teaching all of those skills, And so you are, you know, you're trying to get the kids that you know on the defensive side of things, and even the offensive side. But you're trying to get them uh, for Coach McDonald to understand what they have to do. What are the extra things that they have to do? When you're in the meeting rooms, all right, they have complete control over what is said, how things are done, and when you're on the practice field, how things are said and how things are done. But it is trying to convince the student athlete to, hey, that's that's not enough. To to be a great defense in the Big Ten, there are times where you need to spend whether it's a senior at a position group. Let's just take the linebackers. If that's the case, then you need to get your linebackers, you know, running drills, a watching film, and so that everybody is on the same page. And there are always those extra things that you just have to be taught in college. They're not you're not expected to know those types of things.
2: Number seven on our seven from 77, just your impressions of Coach McDonald after learning about him when he got the job, talking to him, and hearing about how his first month or so has gone on the job.
3: Well, the, the one thing I like is that you can hear the excitement in his voice. It's not lost on him the opportunity that he has. Coming from a position coach to now the University of Michigan and what it means to coach here, what it means to be the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan. I like the fact that he was able to to, to keep a couple of the coaches in Sean Nua, um, who is a terrific recruiter. Uh, I, I like that. The, the kids on defense will have a familiar your face in those meeting rooms, and I think that's really important. Uh, but I like his energy, I like his his exuberance, in the fact that. He hasn't been in the big house, Um, and, you know, I I ask him that question at the end. What's it going to be like? What are your expectations? Uh, And I think people are going to be excited to hear his answer to that question.
2: Well, before we get into that interview, John, it's not a bacon fact. It's bacon trivia this week. Which of the following is not a way that people in their native land refer to bacon internationally? Lop yuck? Speck? Vadapav and Sam Gyupsal. <laughs> Three of those are bacon. One is not.
3: Um, well, I'm not going to um, try and say all of them, um, but let's see. Uh, the first one was Lap Yuck. I'm, whew, boy, let's just try and break this down a little bit. And then you've got Speck. And Vetepov, and then what was the last one? Sam Giup Saul, Sam Giup Saul. So I know you're a smart guy. I know you're very creative. Um, and so I'm gonna say that Lap Yuck is probably the one that I, I, that you made up. Is is that where we're going with this? That spec Vetepov and Sam Giup Saul. Um, Those are all references to bacon, but uh, lap yuck is not.
2: I do appreciate how Vatapov evolved on the two or three times you pronounced it. That is actually the incorrect one. Lap yuck is how you say bacon in China. Spec. I'm guessing that one, I think I've referred to that before. That's Germany. Sam Gyupsal, again, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing these perfectly. I'm sure I'm not. I'm pretty confident on Speck. Uh, the other ones I'm not. But uh, Sam Gypsol is Korea, and John is something you would not probably get. It is a vegetarian fast food dish in India. It is not bacon.
3: Yes, well, um, somewhere I, I'm not sure I'll ever be, um, and something I'm quite sure I will never eat um, uh, of the vegetarian nature. So, uh, but boy, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's a nice little bit of, uh, uh, trivia, um, that we had there, but, uh, Hey, uh, we always appreciate the bacon fact. Um, and I, Brian, Mr. Bush, I appreciate you and the work that you put into this as well as the other podcasts that we have. But right now I hope that everybody gets a chance to enjoy the conversation that I had with our new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. Welcome back to in the trenches and I am now joined by Michigan's new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald and coach. Thanks for joining us. How, uh, how are you enjoying your first Michigan winter? Oh,
1: <laughs> I love it. They, they spent no time introducing it to me with, with all the snow, but, um, my fiance would definitely love the snow. I can assure you that and my dog, so, uh, can't wait to get them up here, but, um, it's a, it's a beautiful city and, uh, you know, it's a little little chilly out there. you got to do the remote start on your car. you got to time it up right before you go outside. But it's, it's been a piece of cake.
3: Well, remote start and, uh, and remote learning, which I know being in Baltimore, and we'll talk about your path um, that, that's brought you to Ann Arbor in just a minute, but, um, you know, you, you, you get signed here at Michigan, and then all of a sudden everything shuts down. Uh, How has <laughs> it been in regards to just trying to meet the coaches – and establish a relationship with everybody in the building, from coaches to players to, you know, administration in the middle of, of the pandemic?
1: Sure. Well, that's definitely a challenge. And, and, you know, last year, as with everybody, I mean, that, that was the learning experience on the fly as well. So I got a little bit of experience of, hey, just handling the, handling the, the events as, it, as they came up. So we tried not to flinch. Um, you know, I actually went home back to my home office just because I felt comfortable there. That's where we did all remote learning last year. You know, so that first week we were here, you know, I was meeting a lot of people and you know, everyone has been great, but a little bit of a blessing in disguise of, hey, let's take two weeks, you know, really get to develop a relationship with our coaches, how we want to operate, introduce the scheme, talk to the players, and you can't talk to them in person, but you're able to have phone conversations with the guys and that sort of thing. So, you know, you, you try to find the positive in the situation. I think we made the most out of it. And now that we've been back in the offices, you know, putting faces and names with the guys. Um, having them come up to the office and, and, uh, and talk and going to watch them work out and things like that. I mean, uh, you know, I think we're trying are just trying to get the most out of every situation.
3: I know that you're not, uh, it's hard to do the face to face right now. Uh, you are getting a chance to watch film. You're getting a chance to see the guys work out. How do you build the relationships with the players at a time of year like this?
1: Well, the opportunities are tough, right? There's, there's COVID restrictions. There's protocols. You're wearing a mask. You're keeping your distance. You know, you're trying, you're trying to be safe in that regard. But as we all know, relationships are purely a function of just of trust. And that comes over small conversations over time. So it's just that you're trying to spend as much time and spend as, have as many conversations with guys so you can get to know them. So we're early in that process. Uh, you know it's probably I probably want to be a little bit further along honestly from where we're at right now but you know the situation is what it is and 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 you're just again it's just day to day trying to get to know guys develop relationships understand where they're coming from their goals that sort of thing and you know we are allowed to zoom so we're trying to use all the zoom time that we have you know to the best of our the best of our ability to make sure you know we're, we're moving forward
3: well it'd be unfair if I asked you about uh, what you've seen on film because it's uh it's hard to make a judgment. I, I know that you're excited about spring ball, but before we start talking about the football side of things, I want to go back because you spent four years at the University of Georgia, seven years in Baltimore, but let's go all the way back to why was it that you decided to get into coaching? What was it or who was it that influenced you and you thought, yeah, this coaching thing would be a good idea?
1: <laughs> uh, well, the overall statement is those who aren't good enough teach. Um, but I played high school football and I was okay, you know, I, but I loved the analysis part of it. I mean, I was shoot up. my, my dad filmed all the games when I was a freshman and in an eighth grade and all that kind of stuff. And I'd go home and watch it. And I would go back to the guys like, Hey, you know, like when this guy does that, he's going to do this, you know? So and whether or not I made the play, it was a different question, but I love doing that stuff. And uh, I actually got hurt in high school And ended up, um, you know, trying to coach my position Then I got hurt at. I mean, I don't know if I was any good or not, but I liked doing it. And then the opportunity was to coach uh, in high school at Cedar Shoals for my old high school coach. And there was just something inside of me that said, like, this is something you got to do. And within the week, I was there and I was coaching and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with relationships. You know, there was a secret um, just kind of spark inside you when you you connect with a guy and you help him, you know, have – achieve success and they start smiling it's just a just a magical thing and it's a powerful thing and when it came down to really making a decision where i wanted to pursue my career it was like okay you know you can go into business and have a successful career and impact people and things like that but i just i felt like hey if i'm 40 something years old and i'm looking back and i didn't go after this thing i'm gonna be kicking myself in my butt for the rest of my life and i just said okay let's let's you know let's dive in head first and give this thing a go and um i think we i think i made the right decision
3: when you were at Georgia, what was it? Um, why Georgia? Um, and and what was the connection there for you?
1: So when I was an undergrad at University of Georgia, like I just like I kind of previously referenced there, I was coaching at the local high school Cedar Shoals, and so you know when you're when you're getting in anything, you want to do it at the highest level, and uh, you know Georgia was right there, so I just peppered the coaching staff, Coach Joe Terashinsky. you know I'm, I visited his office once or twice a week for about a year and a half until they hired Coach Grantham. And finally, they let me in the building and let me volunteer. And um, it was just an opportunity to, to try to learn and try to do it at the highest level. And I was an undergrad at Georgia, so I didn't really have much of a choice at that point. Um, but, they, you know, that, that's a, you know, a big time program. And, uh, and it was just like, hey, you know, you're trying to be the best. And I wanted—I wanted, I knew I, there there's a lot that I didn't know, and I wanted to learn. And I just wanted to help them, you know, help them, help them win the best I could, and try to become the best coach I could. And took it from there. So,
3: um, the reason I asked that question is because I know, and we've all seen guys that that come into a program, whether they're starting off as former players and and they become coaches as GAs, and they work their way up there's just so many different jobs that you do as, whether it's an intern, a GA, just, or, you know, a young coach. How was that exposure or helped you make the transition back to college coaching um, after spending seven years in the NFL?
1: I know it's only 11 years ago, but back then, the support staffs, you know, we had, when I joined, I was the third guy on defense. You know, now you look at some of the programs, they got small armies you know, come out of closets, you know, working on stuff that you get, you've never seen guys before. It's, you know, mm-hmm. so it's grown tremendously over the past 10 years. But the the great thing about that, and I, I kind of express that to our staff now is like, we need to have a startup mentality. You know, we're, we're kind of like our own little startup business here. Everyone's got to have a hand in, in, in forwarding our plan and getting to our goal. And that's the way it was when when I first started, like you said, there's a lot of jobs. Well, shoot, I did all those jobs. I mean, we were setting up tables for team dinners. You know, we're feeding the guys. We're, we're driving guys back and forth. We have, did a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with football. Um, but you take that, and you, now, you can, now you can understand. We also had our hand in all the football operation as well. So you, you really got a feel for how things worked. Um, you got to spend a lot of time with the players and, and what worked with those guys and what didn't, what helped them and what didn't. And you're just, you know, you just jump in head first and you're just part of it. You're in it, you know, like you enjoy the grind. You're just trying to learn and trying to let the team be as good as you can. And I think through osmosis, you're exposed to all the different operations. And in the back of your mind, you know, when you can take a deep breath, you kind of say, okay, I would do it like this, or I like the way we did that. Or you know what, next time I'd probably change this. You know, if it was my decision, I probably would have done something, something different. So you just, you build that up over time. And I think that gives you a good feel about, your vision and how, and how you, how you would do it once, um, you know, uh, once you're in that leadership role.
3: Well, I want to ask you about that vision in just a minute, but you make the jump from the university of Georgia to the Baltimore Ravens. You're coaching for John Harbaugh. What was that trend? What was that jump like going from college to the NFL for you as a coach?
1: Well, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't know when I first got there, but I can tell you this: the day I walked in the door, I knew that organization was the real deal. Ozzy Newsom knew my name the first first day I, I walked in the door as a as an intern. Never met me in his life. He said, Hey Mike, how's it going? I mean, that's that was powerful. And I told him that be- before I left and I thanked him for, for all the things that he that he helped me helped me do. But if, if the top guy in your organization is a guy like that and, and and a guy like John Harbaugh, then that trickles down. And I think that's that that, that transcends football and organizations, I think you have that here with Ward Manuel and and Coach Harbaugh. And that's one of the reasons why this this opportunity was so attractive, because I saw a lot of parallels in how each place worked. So I wouldn't say it's college to NFL or NFL to college. It's it's organizationally how you operate. You know, at the end of the day you're still putting eleven out there, the hash marks are a little different, the plays are a little different, you know, guys are a little younger, but I would say it's not as much different as some, some might imagine.
3: And it, as we mentioned, and you mentioned, you you were under the you know guidance of John Harbaugh there in Baltimore. Um, most of us know a lot about Jim, and we know a little bit about John. Obviously, they're brothers, um, and so we've followed both of their careers. We've you know we've got a vested interest in both of them. But what's it like? What is John Harbaugh like in meetings? What's he like on the sideline? How much of of his just the way he does things, his leadership. Will you be bringing to Michigan?
1: Well, I think it's, I think it's important to be to be yourself, and that's one thing that John preaches is trying to be your best self. And I believe in that as a leader. If you can get a whole group of guys being their best selves, that's a powerful thing. You know, the best teams, no matter who you study, are diverse teams. So if you get a lot of people thinking and acting alike then all of a sudden you're not, you're not bringing a lot to the party, but in terms of John as a leader, I mean, he's a, he's the real deal. Like I said, organizationally, he's got tremendous energy. He's got tremendous passion. He cares about his people. I know that he has our back as coaches and players. You've seen it this year. Shoot. He almost, he almost fought another team's coach because of what they were doing pregame. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that I mean, that, that's just a small example there, but, Tremendous energy, tremendous passion. Um, respect is a principle of his. He's got your back. He's going to tell you the truth. And um, and I think that just trickles down throughout the rest of the organization where, you know, if he told me he walked right into this, you know, in this room right here and said, hey, go run through that wall, I'd, I'd say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm there. I'm doing it. So, it, it's a, you know, I just can't say enough great things about, about how he operates.
3: We're talking to Mike McDonald, the new defensive coordinator uh, here in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And you mentioned just a few minutes ago about your vision for the defense and how, while you were at Georgia and you know coaching high school and obviously in the NFL, you've been able to put together a vision. What does that vision look like for a Mike McDonald coach defense?
1: The first thing is, is we need everybody pulling in the same direction. And you earn that opportunity. And that starts that started with our meetings when the guys came back here and on zoom, but whatever X's and O's you decide to do, it has to be everybody playing for and fighting for one another. And that's something that I, that I've learned over the course of my career. Cause you get into the game and you love the strategy and you love having answers and you love being multiple and you like blitzes that look like spaghetti on a page. And trust me, we're going to be multiple and we're going to get after people and we're going to be aggressive and we're going to blitz and we're going to look like we're blitzing, we're not going to blitz, and we're going to play man, we're going to play zone. We're going to be complimentary, but it's how you play that makes the difference. Do you strike blockers? Do you stay square? Do you communicate? Do you sign and cosign? Do you guys run to the ball like your hair's on fire? Those are the things that are important. So that's the standard about how we want to operate. And so if you can visualize 11 guys playing for one another, playing for one another every down for 60 minutes, that's where we're going. And that's the the first meeting we had with our guys, is how do we want to play? What's our standard? And now that we've agreed on it, which we're in the process of now discussing, hey, look, this is the way it's supposed to look. Okay, when we don't meet the standard, they understand that, and now that's where we can get. So we're always chasing that vision.
3: In, in regards to that vision, um, you obviously are coming in, you've inherited those players that were already here, um, as well as a recruiting class um, that was put together um, before you arrived. When you think about that vision and trying to get the, the skill set of the players that are on the roster now, how do you go about staying true to your vision but also being able to utilize the skill set of the players that that were maybe recruited for a different style of system how do you get them to fit yours or do you fit your system to to the player
1: i think i think it falls somewhere in in the middle there john but mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna install our our staples and our our base package you know our fronts that we want to live out of and that sort of thing but the, the great thing about our system is it's the series of concepts. Okay. So we're going to install our, our base concepts. And then at that point, think of it as inter- interchangeable parts to fit what our guys do well. But in order to do that, we got to go practice. We got to go get after it. We got to go compete. We got to go evaluate. And then we got to give them feedback on, you know, who's doing it the right way, who's not. So we can, we can, on how we're playing the game. And then as coaches, it's our job to say, okay, this is who we got. This is who's good at, at what. Okay, how do we structure the the defense, okay, on a on a situational basis to put us in the best position to win? So we're gonna have our, our staples, you know, our core our core concepts that we're and our core fronts and all that kind of stuff. We're gonna install that. But the guys have to understand those concepts before we can start moving things around to, to kind of accentuate who's doing what and to make sure guys are doing what they do well, if that makes sense.
3: Uh, it does, um, and I appreciate you going into that, that sort of detail. Um, when you look at your coaching staff um, that you've been able to assemble, um, what do you like about your staff? The,
1: the, the first thing is I wanted, just like we talked about with teams, I wanted people that weren't just like me. So you want guys with different backgrounds, um, different sort of schemes they've been a part of, different areas of the country they come from, different experiences that we can all come to the same, into the same room. Okay. And use that to our advantage. That was the first thing. The second thing is it's about getting the right people on the bus before you go anywhere. So you got to be the right type of person. You got to be a great teacher. You got to be a great communicator. You got to have high character. Those are all things, the X's and O's things all that stuff is just its secondary. It really is. I know you want, this guy is an expert at whatever. Like, it, that's secondary. And that's great. That's like the cherry on top. And we got great guys that are really smart coaches that know what they're doing. But from my perspective, it's getting the right people and the right type of person in the room because those are the guys that are communicating with our players the most. And they'll take on the personality of their coach. So – if it's the wrong personality or if it's the, it's the wrong type of guy, that's not a good start. So I believe I believe in the guys that we have, and I think they're all high character individuals. They have the players' best interest at heart, and they want. And it's all about team first. And as long as we can stay on on that path and stay together with it, we got a chance. The minute that you get guys going in different directions, you're in trouble. So I'm I'm I can't tell you I'm excited about the people in our room because in our staff room because. I know we're starting out on the right on the right track, so I'm I'm fired up on that end.
3: Part of the difference between college and and the pros, or at least in in semantics, I know you still got to recruit free agents, and there's other things that go into the pro game. But recruiting of 16, 17, 18 year old kids, um, you spent seven years in the NFL. and This is kind of a two part question. The challenge, um, what's the challenge going to be like of getting back into the recruiting? But also, um, part two of the question is, you come from the NFL. I was a recruit. I was amongst those recruits. We all think we're destined for the NFL. How much does that experience give you an advantage when you walk into a young person's home and you're sitting there with mom, dad, and student athlete um, to say, hey, this is my background. I know what it takes to get to that level.
1: I think, I think that's powerful. And I don't think you sell them on the fact of like, hey, we're, you're gonna do this, and you're gonna you're gonna to get to the league, and I guarantee you that it's hey, I just like you said, John. I know what it takes and what it looks like when you're there, so I can help you get through the process to achieve your goals. Just like we said with the team, like if you're not meeting the standard on what on on that sort of trajectory, now I know that doesn't look like the way it should look. Does that make sense? So now you can hold them to, to, to be accountable to that end knowing knowing where you want to go so I think that's powerful um the first question I believe was like what was the challenge on
3: yeah challenge going challenge of of not having recruited over the last seven years I know you had that experience at Georgia but um how much of a challenge will that be for you you know starting you know after seven years to 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 recruit and develop those relationships with high school coaches around the country sure
1: that's you hit it right there. That's, that's the biggest challenge is the process. And, you know, you had seven years of, of not building relationships with those, with those, with those coaches and the people in those areas. Um, that's something that I'm leaning on our staff big time right now. And they're, and they're coaching me up just like I'm coaching them up on our scheme. So we're working together and we're diving in head first, you know, to try to get to try to get, you know, ahead of the curve, you know, per se. Um, But that's definitely a process. There's definitely a learning curve there. Um, can't lie to you about that, but you know, there's only way you can get through it is to go through it, you know, take it day by day, take it, you know, what's important now, what's the next, what's the next conversation we're going to have with the coach. And, um, hopefully you develop those relationships and that trust, uh, sooner than later, you know, so you can kind of get caught up to the guys that have been in the game for, for, for quite a while now.
3: Will you be um, coaching a uh, one of the individual positions, or will you be overseeing, you know, all of your assistant coaches and the players that that they're coaching?
1: Yeah, right. So I'm not going to have an actual position. I call it get in where I fit in. Mm-hmm. I think it's important with the new scheme and some coaches that we haven't worked together for a while. Like, hey, okay, this is how we decided we want to do it when we met. You know, let's let's see how the players get it. And I just feel like I have a better feel for what's going on with the defense as a whole, if I'm not married to one position. Um, and then when we're on the field, trust me, I'm, I'm not just going to be standing there. Watching. I'll be in the drills now. All right. And there'll be times where we'll take the outside outside backers and I'll grab them to work something. Or if we're working a certain concept, you know, we'll grab, you know, a couple of the DBs, a couple of linebackers. And that's, that's where I see myself getting in on the field and in the meeting rooms, you know, I'm hopping back between each rooms and stuff like that as, as well as, Talking to the entire team, so I just felt like I have a better feel the pulse of the defense if I kind of if I didn't have one particular position group.
3: And before we let you go, I just got a couple more, and and some of them are, are more about game day and and football season. Uh, you're a position coach um, both at Georgia and with the Baltimore Ravens. Now you're going to be the one directing your assistant coaches as well as you putting a game plan together and then making the call. On game day, um, first of all, how excited are you to be the, that guy to be in that position? But also the challenges of it all rests on your shoulders of putting that game plan together and then solving problems on game day and making calls.
1: Well, you're right. I mean, this is this is this is why you get into coaching. You know, like I talked about at the beginning, you want to do it at the highest level, and I believe in I believe in our process and our in our our players and 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 our and our scheme. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that challenge. Honestly, I mean, it's, this is something you've been dreaming about. And you, you know, as your a position coach, you know, you have a lot to do with the, with the, with the weekly game plan. You know, the coordinator is the guy calling it on, on game day, but he's really leaning on his, on the rest of his coaches as well, to uh, give him the information that he needs so he can digest it and understand how he wants to attack. And that's his job. Okay, to communicate that to the rest of the defense and the rest of the players on what we're going to call and when. So the decision on what to call, that'll change on game day a little bit, but we need to, we need to do a great job from now through the summer, through the spring and the summer of, of preparing ourselves with the different situations throughout training camp so we, we feel like we're used to the process of calling a game and the players understand what we're going to call and when throughout the week so they can anticipate that. So that's something that I believe in, and um, you know it is a great challenge and it's a great responsibility. But um, you know, bring it on, let's go. You know, I, you know, you ask You, I'm. This is a dream of mine, and uh, we're going to work our tails off, you know, to be
3: successful. Have you ever um, been in the big house on game day? Have you ever had that opportunity?
1: Man, man, I'll tell you what, I have not, and. I'm praying that thing is packed.
3: Oh, we all Come game one.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm praying. I just uh, from what I've heard and what I've seen and what I've seen with my own eyes, it's a special, special place and I'll be honored to take the field when we tee it up.
3: Well, Mike, I'm, I'm sure happy that you're here. I'm excited to see what this defense will be um, under you and, uh, and what this team will be um, with you on the staff as well. And uh, I want to revisit that last question after, uh, after week one of next football season. And I do pray that we have 111,000 uh, supporters there and fans just cheering their heads off. Um, but And I'll tell you this, it is like no other it is absolutely like no other. So I'm excited to to get your take on it at that point. But thanks for joining us today, and uh, uh, make sure you got that shovel handy this week. It's uh, we're, we're supposed to get some more.
1: I've heard, I've heard. I'm looking forward to that next conversation as well, John. I appreciate your time, man.
3: All right, take care. and Go Blue. All right, go Blue. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with our new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. I know I'm excited to see what this defense is going to become, um, and we won't get a chance to see or or know for sure until next September. But um, I will do my best to give you updates throughout spring football, and hopefully, when spring football is done, we'll get a chance to talk to uh, Coach McDonald. Um, as he learns more about um, his team, his players, um, as well as his assistant coaches. But uh, thanks to Mike McDonald for his time. Stay tuned on the MGo Blue podcast page because after every Michigan basketball game, you will get a breakdown with Brian Bush and T. Mills uh, on what happened on the court. That will be on Defend the Block. As well as next Tuesday, we'll have a Conquering Heroes episode come out. And every Thursday, if you want to know what's going on on Michigan, Michigan football you stay tuned right here on in the trenches thanks for listening to this week's edition of in the trenches with john Jansen, part of our michigan athletics podcast network m go blue podcasts the preceding is a learfield img college presentation of the michigan sports network